unlike other countries that sort of have a pay-as-you-go as toll system. We have it in our country. You know, you go through the toll booths and you, you pay for these, uh, these trips we take on the toll roads. In Switzerland, Switzerland expects drivers to, uh, using their auto route system, to pay an annual fee of 40 Swiss francs. And when you pay, you get a windshield sticker that you display, display for the rest of the year. Traditionally, traffic police in Switzerland have given uh, people there, citizens in Switzerland, the month of January off from any penalties. So you have January, you have that period of grace in order to pay for your annual sticker. There's no penalty for driving without it during that month. But when the first day of February arrives, the traffic police are waiting at the exit routes from the auto uh, route system there in Switzerland, and they nab each person, and there is no more grace if you haven't bought your sticker. No more excuses are accepted, no more time is given. The grace period has ended. It's over. Well, in the same way, God's grace period for each of us has an ending too. And that's what we begin with in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1 where we pick up this morning. Therefore, the author says, Hebrews 4.1, Therefore let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. Don't miss out then on God's true rest. That's the message here in this section of Hebrews. The Greek word that is translated come short of in this verse means to miss out on something. And the author of Hebrews doesn't want anybody to miss out on God's true rest. Now let's review for just a minute. Hebrews 3 began this whole, this whole argument with a contrast between Moses and Jesus and the way of Moses in the Old Testament and the way of Jesus in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. The way of Moses was the way of law. The way of Jesus is the way of grace. The way of Moses was the way of religion. The way of Jesus was the way of relationship. The way of Moses was the way of rules and regulations and rituals and things you must perform. It was all about performance. The way of Jesus was the way of what he has done, his work for us on the cross instead of our work for him. So we began in Hebrews 3 at the beginning with that contrast and then he went into a warning. He was warning people, don't fall back. He was writing to to Jewish people, of course, in the first century and he was warning them not to fall back from Jesus into the way of Moses, into the way of religion and rules and regulations and trying to perform in order to please God. The struggle that we go through with all of that. God offers rest, he said. But you can be so close to experiencing that rest and not, and yet not experience the rest. You can be so close but still miss out on God's true rest. So he says, don't do that. That's his warning throughout the end of chapter 3 and now as he picks up in chapter 4. Don't miss out on God's rest. Because true rest comes by faith in God's grace. So let's continue with his argument here in Hebrews 4, 
chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has thus said that somewhere concerning the seventh day, the Sabbath, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. We'll stop right there. The good news about the Lord's rest had been preached to us, just like God preached it to the Israelites in the Old Testament, the good news. What was their gospel, if you will? What was their good news? Their good news was you can enter the promised land. It's there before you. You can enter this by faith, but you have to believe that I will give it to you, God says, and act on that belief and enter the land. And of course they didn't, did they? We know in the Old Testament that the Israelites refused to follow God because there's some giants there. It's horrible, it's awful, difficult things ahead of us. We don't believe that God can give it to us. But God said, I'll give it to you by faith. They didn't enter. They knew this was God's promised rest from their wanderings in the desert of Sinai. Yet they never entered. You see, the word of God that they heard did not benefit them, he says in these verses. Because it was not joined to what? Faith. By all who heard the good news. Literally, verse 2 tells us in the Greek that the word of hearing, the word of hearing did not benefit them because the word of hearing was not connected with the reality of faith. You can hear the good news all you want, but if it's not connected to faith, it does you no good. The hearing has to be joined to the believing in order to experience the benefits. All right, what is our gospel, our good news? We're not entering a a physical land like they were, but he's going to apply it to our lives. What is our good news? Our good news is a spiritual rest. Salvation. We can have spiritual rest with God. We can be right with God. And the warning is that just like the ancient Israelites missed out on their physical rest, we too could miss out on the spiritual rest if we do not join the word of hearing to the act of faith. If we do not unite those things, the word of hearing will do us no good if we don't take that message to heart and believe it. Many people go to church. Many people go to this church or other churches. Many people are very religious. But never believe the good news in their hearts. And so never find rest with God. John MacArthur uses the analogy of a police officer who stops you for running a red light. Nobody here does that, right? But in this case, the police officer stops you for running the red light. Now, is the police officer going to be impressed if you can recite all of the rules and all of the regulations 
regarding, that are in the booklet, you know, that you study to get your test, that you can, that was a long time ago for some of us, but it's there. Is the police officer impressed if you can recite all that? I know all the facts. Here's all the information. Oh, you still get the ticket, right? Because it's not the knowing that is important. It's not impressive how much you know about the law. The bottom line is simple. You have to act on what you know. You must believe what you know and obey it. Well, verse 3 continues here. We believing ones, he says, enter into the rest of God. The ancient Israelites could enter the promised land filled with giants only by faith that God would give them that rest. And we can only have spiritual rest by faith in God. We can enter into that spiritual rest right now by, his, by faith in Him. We can trust God to give us that rest. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. Because then it wouldn't be rest. It would be work. We can only receive the rest by faith in God's grace. And then we enter the rest that God promises. The rest is God's rest, not ours. In fact, he says in verse 3, it is, God says, it is my rest that I'm offering you. God entered into the rest when he completed creation. When he completed his work of creation on the seventh day, the Old Testament says, on the Sabbath then, God rested from all his work. And God has continued to rest. God is not striving and struggling and sweating and and working to make everything happen. He rested. We don't need to strive and struggle and sweat and work either. For our salvation, our rest. God entered his Sabbath rest when he had completed his work. That's the argument here. (laughs) Janet Weaver from Lancaster, Pennsylvania was quizzing her preschool class about the story of creation. And she asked them what God did on the seventh day. What did God do on the seventh day? A dark-eyed three-year-old raised her hand and said, I think he mowed the yard. (laughs) That's what we do, right? On the seventh day. No. God rested. God rested. And that promise of rest is available to us as well. It's not our rest that we earn by our good works. It is his rest that he gives us by his grace. What is the rest? What is the rest? The word rest can mean inactivity, cessation of all action. But did God cease to be active when he completed creation? No. God was still active. He was still functioning. It is not cessation of activity that is being talked about here. The word rest can also mean peace, refreshment, relief, being settled A sense of being secure. That's what it means to rest. Those are the senses in which it is being used in this passage. We rest securely on a solid foundation instead of running around in circles all the time trying to prove ourselves. 
We can rest in God's finished work for us on the cross. Rest, as it is used in this passage, does not mean the cessation of all activity. We're still going to function. We still have to obey. We still have to be active. God did not cease to be active. But it was, his creative work was finished, it was settled. He could rest in that. And we rest in God's finished work of spiritual salvation in Jesus Christ. We are at peace with God. Isn't that great? You get to be at peace with God. To be right with God. To be at peace. To be refreshed. To find relief for our souls. From our guilt. From our failures from our struggles to do everything right. We find refreshment for our souls from that sort of performance-oriented religious way of trying to earn God's favor, trying to prove ourselves to God all the time. That's hard. We can rest by faith in God's grace. He gives it to us. What was it Jesus said in Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You've got burdens. You've got loads that you are carrying in life. And Jesus said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. We don't have to keep struggling and striving and working to make it with God. We just, we believe and we enjoy His peace. We trust Him. You know, a performance-oriented religion is totally discouraging and wearying because we never quite arrive, right? You never quite get there. No matter how hard you try. So we never quite end the striving. We never quite arrive. Jesus says, I'll give you rest. Come to me. Take your loads. Give them to me and I'll give you rest from those loads. But then he says something kind of contradictory, doesn't it? Doesn't he? He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke, a yoke is... Well, it's a work thing, right? It's, it's something you put on oxen or something so you can take them out to work. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and my load is light. How does that go with rest? Yoking and rest seems to be contradictory. Well, there's a couple of factors about Jesus' yoke. Factor number one is that Jesus' yoke is designed specifically for you and no one else. He knows exactly what you can handle with him and by his grace. You don't have to be me, and I don't have to be you. His yoke is designed for me. His yoke is designed for you. That's the first factor. The second factor about the yoking is what? A yoke has two parts to it. That's why I wear this little pin up here to remind me Constantly that I am yoked with whom? Jesus Christ. He's in the other side of the yoke. Because a yoke has two, two people in it. And Jesus is in the other side of that yoke. 
so I don't have to pull this load because he's strong enough to pull it, yoked with me. So my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Yes, you will be active. Your faith is supposed to be something that is active, but he carries the load. And that's how he can give us rest. It's a relief not to feel the pressure of constant performance, isn't it? I never have to play that game again. That's what Billy Mitchell, age 33, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, said. He was expressing his relief after he became the first person ever to get a perfect score of 3 million, I had to look at that again, 3,333,360 in Pac-Man. Right? You know, the little video arcade game. He finally got a perfect score. I never have to play that game again. Wow, am I glad. Uh, it's hard to be perfect, isn't it? It's hard to be perfect. What a burden. What a load to carry. Especially if it's with respect to God or other people's expectations. Well, God says, drop the load. <laughs> Let it go. Give it up. Let him carry the load and trust him to carry it for you. Your guilt, your shame, your failure, he can handle all of those. And mine too. Your struggles, your self-effort, your self-help, he can handle all that too. What a relief to take that load and just drop it. Let him have it. And let him carry it for you. That's how you find rest. We can be freed from the load we're trying so hard to carry. Right? Max Lucado in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells how the U.S. government in 1811 began collecting and storing letters like the following note. This one was dated February 6, 1974. February 6, 1974, and here's the note. I am sending $10 for blankets I stole while in World War II. My mind could not rest. Sorry, I'm late. $10, 74, so we're many years removed from World War II. Can't rest. I'm sorry, I'm late. It was signed in XGI, and then there was this postscript on the note. I want to be ready to meet with God. You want to be ready to meet with God. What is it you carry? Sometimes it's those little things, isn't it? You want to be ready to meet with God. The U.S. government not only collects and stores these letters, but the Treasury Department established a fund, actually, and they labeled it the Conscience Fund. Since its inception, the fund has grown to almost $7 million. That's a lot of money for a guilty conscience. A lot of people walking around, a lot of people with stuff they'd like to get cleared up. And God says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Just lay the load on me and I'll give you rest. 
I'll give you peace. You can be right with God no matter what you've done. People want to be at peace with God. And the way to be at peace with God from all that struggle, all that guilt, is by faith, by believing in God's grace and entering into God's rest. It's only through Christ. So stop striving and start resting. Second principle this morning, true rest remains available to all today. Chapter 4, verse 6. Since therefore... So now he's going to make his point on the basis of this. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David after so long a time, just as has been said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So, some enter the rest and some don't. David, of course, lived long after Joshua, right? By the way, Joshua, the name Joshua in the Hebrew is Jesus. So, there's kind of a play on words here, but David lived long after Joshua. So, if David, and he's quoting from Psalm 95 here, if David had offered the people rest in his day, then that means that the rest hadn't been used up in Joshua's day when they entered the promised land, right? The rest continues. The rest is not the promised land. It is rest with God that continues to be offered and is still available in David's day. And he says, the author of Hebrews says, is still available today for each and every one of us. That's the true rest. It's a spiritual rest, and that spiritual rest is available to all today. Once again, we come back for the third time then to this warning. Twice before in chapter 3 we had it, now we have it again. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Life is sometimes hard. But don't let life harden your heart toward God. Don't become brittle and cold toward Him. Today, if you are hearing His voice, don't become hard by the stuff of life against God and miss out on the rest that God wants you to experience. How long does today last? As long as it's still today, right? Today lasts as long as a person has opportunity to believe. Today lasts as long as God's grace is still available for each and every person. But at some point, the author is saying, that grace period has an ending for each and every person. Today ends for each person someday. Once today ends, there's no tomorrow. We all think we have tomorrow, right? How many of you have already made plans for this week? No, don't show me your hands. Yes, we, we make plans. We all think we have tomorrow. We can wait. We can respond tomorrow. But tomorrow may never come. You can't guarantee it. Putting off the decision to trust Christ and be right with God and enter into God's rest is, that's the same thing as hardening your heart slowly against God. Today ends 
someday for everyone. It is only today, today. Today you are hearing God's good news in this room right now. God offers His rest to each and every one of us. The good news is you don't have to keep trying to be perfect for God. You don't have to keep struggling to earn your way back to God. You don't have to be religious. It is not about religion and rituals and and which church or what name you go under or any of those things. You don't have to keep fighting the guilt and the shame of sin. You can rest. You can come to Christ. You can roll your load on Him and stop struggling and you can rest in Him. Because it's all about what he has done, not what we do, that matters with God. You can be right with God by faith. You can have peace today, not tomorrow. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. San Francisco 49ers head coach Steve Mariucci back in 2000 said, I never wear a watch, okay? I don't wear one either. That's because there's clocks everywhere you go. But he said, I never wear a watch because I always know it's now. And now is when you should do it, whatever it is. Okay, that makes sense. That's especially true for God's rest. You have today you don't know that you have tomorrow. Now is all we actually have for anything, really, in life. Pastor Tim Wilson remembers sitting on the hard wooden bleachers at Fort Benning while attending the United States Army Airborne School as they prepared for their very first parachute jump. Soon, he said, they would soar hundreds of feet above the red Georgia clay and hear the jump master bark out his orders, stand up, hook up, check equipment, stand in the door, go! Go, go, go. And they'd have to jump. Understandably, said the instructor, had their undivided attention because they were making their first jump. So the airborne sergeant's voice rang out confidently as he explained what to do in each and every case of parachute malfunction. Well, that's a pleasant thought before you jump. But he said, if your main parachute should fail to deploy, don't panic. Right. Pull the handle of your auxiliary parachute. Should should your auxiliary parachute fail to fill with air, don't panic. Pull it toward your body and then vigorously throw it away from yourself. Should your auxiliary chute again fail to deploy, don't panic. Good for you to say. Vigorously repeat the process. And then he paused dramatically and he looked into each of the soldiers' eyes And with a slight grin, he slowly stated, Should this also fail, don't panic. You'll have the rest of your life to get your parachute to work. Small consolation, if the rest of my life lasts seconds... March 2004, Reader's Digest headlined Ray Charles, a quote from Esquire magazine. Ray Charles said, Live every day like it's your last, because one day you're going to be right. Three months later, on June 10th, 2004, Ray Charles died. You never know 
how long you have in life. You just don't. Today is all we have. Now is all we have. That came home very clear to us this week with the accident to, the tragic accident for Katie McGonigal. Wow. She was here in our parking lot with a friend after church last Sunday talking to Carrie. You just don't know that now, now is all you have. Trust him today. Trust him today and find rest and peace. Third principle. True rest anticipates our eternal rest. Hebrews 4, verse 9. There remains therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. There remains a Sabbath rest for all God's people. When we enter into that rest, we rest from all of our works, just as God rested from his works. The passage looks forward to that day when we will no longer have to struggle with life on this earth. That day comes for each and every one of us. We will be with God in heaven. We will finally and fully rest from all of our works. I look around at a congregation and so many of you are struggling with so many things, hard things in life, sickness and illness and struggles and hardships and disappointments and discouragements. That's life, isn't it? We feel discouraged. We get tired. Weariness can seep down into our souls as we try to keep up with everything. And as Christians, we look forward to the day when all pain and suffering will be wiped away by the hand of God. Gone. No more. That's His promise. We will finally and fully rest as we can never rest in this world because heaven is our real home. Heaven is our resting place, our final resting place as Christians. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said to his students, when you speak of heaven, let your face light up. When you speak of hell, well then your everyday face will do. I don't know if my everyday face looks quite that bad. I hope it doesn't. But I do know that when we speak of heaven, it ought to be with great joy and happiness, shouldn't it? It should light our face up. We have a hope. This is not all there is. I'll say it again. This is not all there is. Thank you. This is not all there is to life. There's more to it. And as Christians, we look forward to the day when we will have that rest, that final rest, and we can celebrate forever with Him. That's our great hope. And our faces ought to light up about that, shouldn't they? I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I want my funeral to be full of singing about heaven, all right? I want people to sing about heaven. 
There is joy. There is hope. There is wonderful rest forever in heaven. That's what it means to be a Christian. And to know that now and be able to rest in him now because we have that hope forever. That's our hope. But we don't have to wait for that hope to come. If we trust Christ as our Savior, we can live in anticipation of our eternal rest in Him. We can rest in that secure hope, the hope of heaven. In an interview with uh, Kevin Costner, Holly McClure was interviewing him about his movie Dragonfly. She asked him if he believed in heaven, and this is what he said, I desperately want to. I mean, I really want to believe that a part of me will continue on after this life and that there's more to me and to this life than just what's here on earth. Yes, I want to believe. People want to believe there's more, right? We want to believe in heaven. I mean, just look at the the cemeteries and the grave sites of those who have died. Just listen to people talk at funerals. I mean... I'm at a lot of funerals, right? You listen to people talk. Everyone wants to believe in heaven. We hope for heaven. But can we know we will go to heaven? Can we know that now? What's the answer? Yes. Yes, we can know we will go to heaven because we've trusted Christ today. If we respond to Christ today, then we enter into the rest which will be completed in heaven. We enter into it now. We have that peace, that security now. We start resting now by faith in Christ to lead us to His rest one one day. So hit the pause button in life. Stop working so hard is the message of Hebrews. Stop trying to be perfect for God and worrying about every little flaw. We all, we all have them. Because we who respond today have the hope of tomorrow. We can rest in the hope of heaven. And what a relief that we have such hope for our souls. I don't know honestly how people get through life today without that hope. I really don't. But unfortunately, so many people who are Christians go through life as if we've forgotten that reality of our hope in heaven. We live as if it's not really real. And we're, we live as if we have no hope sometimes. We live like this is all there is sometimes. We act like Wilfredo Garza. Wilfredo Garza lived the life of an illegal immigrant for more than 35 years. Year after year, he eked out a living crossing the border from Mexico into the United States, and you see all the crosses there on the picture commemorating all those who have died trying to cross the border into the United States from Mexico. He would come in, some days finding work, some days not. Regardless, he was constantly looking over his shoulder. He was caught by the border patrol four times during that period. He was bussed back to Mexico every time, but each time he would swim back across the Rio Grande to try again, and the cycle would likely have continued for more years to come, even after 35 years, if he hadn't made an amazing discovery. He summoned enough courage to walk into an immigration lawyer's office to see what he could do, and incredibly, he found out that his father was born in Texas and spent time working there, which meant that Wilfredo was actually a U.S. citizen for all those 35 years. 
All those years of struggle, all those years of running and hiding and trying to get across the border and being bussed back. And he was a citizen all the time. He had it all. He had the right. He didn't have to live in that guilt and fear anymore. So now he has a certificate of citizenship. He doesn't have to sneak across the border. He can walk right straight through that main gate. I'm here. Well, folks, we as Christians, we as Christians have our heavenly citizenship papers all in order. Sometimes we live like we don't know that. But heaven is our home. We don't have to worry about it. We can walk through the main gate. Anyone who has truly believed in Jesus Christ has entered into that rest that God has promised. And we, we rest in the fact that we are citizens of heaven right now. We have all the rights, we have all the privileges, we have all the joys and the expectations of that heavenly citizenship right now in Christ because heaven's our home. Anne Graham Lotz, daughter of evangelist Billy Graham and his wife Ruth, was interviewed on CNN in December of 2001 after the uh, 911 uh, troubles here and you know the, the, the towers that came down, all of those things. She was asked about those who died on September 11th. If they were not saved by accepting Christ, the reporters wanted to know, would they go to heaven? That's what the CNN reporters asked Ann Graham Lotz. She, she replied, I tell people who want to visit my father's home in North Carolina. They drive up the long drive, they come to the gate, they knock on the gate, and they say, Billy Graham, Dr. Graham, let us in. We've read your books. We've watched you on TV. We've written to you. We want to come to your house. And my father says, go away. I don't know you. You're not a member of my family. And you've not made any arrangements to come. But then she said, in answer to that question, when I drive up that same driveway and I knock on the gate, I say, Daddy, this is Anne, and I've come home. And the gate is thrown wide open. And I go inside. Why? Because I'm my father's daughter. Jesus said that heaven is his father's home. And he was speaking of God. Because heaven is God's house. He has the right to decide who comes in and who does not come in to his home. And he says, God says, he will welcome anyone inside his home. He will welcome anyone. No matter what you've done or where you've been or where you've grown up. Anyone can come, but they have to be born into his family by faith in Jesus Christ. That's all. But once that happens, that gives us a wonderful hope forever that when the time comes, we can be assured that at the end of the journey, we'll step right into our Father's arms. We'll be welcomed there because we're our Father's children. Folks, when we die, God says, Welcome home. Welcome home. Come in and rest. Rest forever. I want to hear welcome home someday, don't you? 
Trust him now for that rest. Father, thank you. Thank you that in your 